before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to say anything evil. To practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness, and let him rebuke me, and it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Let's pause for a moment of silence for spiritual preparation. We have the opportunity now to agree with God when we were wrong by naming those sins in the privacy of our hearts. First John reminds us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is a very critical part for us as believers in Christ, because as you know, this restores the filling ministry of God and Holy Spirit. So let's pause for a moment of silence and pray, and then I'll Father, what a privilege it is to be able to assemble together with the royal family of God, those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're not special apart from your Son, Jesus. And yet we know that in eternity past, you had each and every one of us in mind. You've chosen us to be an ambassador, someone who will represent you to a world that is dying in their sins. And may we take that seriously. And recognize, Father, that the only hope that our country has is if the believers would rally together for the cause of Christ. And I'm confident, Lord, that right here in this church we have those who are able to advance the cause of Christ and look high the cross that you would be magnified. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity for us to worship you in spirit and in truth. But before we engage in the word, we would like to lift our voices to be through songs. We ask this in Christ's name. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Let's just pause for a moment of silence one more time and exercise 1 John 1 9 if we need to, and then we'll begin. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to examine your word. We know, Lord, that it is critical, especially during this time, for us to pay close attention to the word of God. There are so many things that are going on around us, and sometimes that will cause us to go into despair, and anxiety, irritability. 
And Father, the only way that we can remain stable is when we take in your word. And so, Father, as we go through these basic truths, I trust that as we cover them, that they will unfold when needed during the time of crisis. We know, Father, that these truths are there for a reason. They ultimately come from your word. And so, as such, we should study them closely so that we can make application. We don't study these things for academic purposes so that we can tell our friends, guess what I know? It's for the application so that in the end you would be honored and glorified by everything we say they can do. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. And if there's anything vying for our attention, I pray that all of us would be disciplined enough to lay those aside so that we can focus on thee and focus on thy word. We ask and pray all these things through Christ's matchless name that we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, we're going to continue through basics. But we're going to review a couple things here and then look at how phase two salvation looks like in the life of a believer. So this is our basic series. And re recall the slide here, the diagram, phase one, phase two, and phase three. I'm confident you guys know this. This is nothing new. We've covered this in the past. And I'm sure even before my arrival, you know these things. So just by way of review, what's the difference between phase two and phase one? What's the significance between these two? Phase two. What are we talking about in phase two? What does that, how does that impact us? Okay, working out your salvation, very good. What are, what should we be concerned with? One, two, or three? Two. That's what we're working on right now. So, this morning we're going to look at how phase two looks like in the life of a believer. Because sometimes we hear, oh yeah, phase two, I'm saved from the power of sin. But do you know that by experience? You know, we... I've, covered this in the past uh, a few weeks ago. Phase two is saved from the power of sin. Phase one is saved from what? Penalty of sin. So that's justification, correct? And phase three is I will be saved from the presence of sin. So face to face with Christ. So let's just Recall last week we looked at grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, of Jesus our Lord. I pointed out that Peter's purpose in fostering spiritual growth and a greater personal experience with God in this life is underscored by his prayer that grace and peace would be multiplied through what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, God refers to God the Father, remember? So grace and peace will be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God the Father and of Jesus our Lord. So their faith had brought them a righteous standing before God, which is justification, phase one, salvation. 
but it also directed them towards righteous living, which is sanctification. Phase two. The deeper the knowledge of God, I wanted you to see this last week, and again, as a reminder, the deeper the knowledge of God, the more grace and peace are multiplied. Right? So, this is one of the reasons why we focus on the intake of God's word. We sometimes call this the inculcation of doctrine. So it's multiplied as you get into the knowledge of the Father and of Jesus Christ. We also look at verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, once again, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So the point here is God's divine power has adequately endowed believers with all things related to life and godliness or holiness. So we have everything we would need in the word of God. That's verse 3. And then we look at verse 4 following three, for by these he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises so that by them, the promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So the words by these he has granted to us are connected with the main idea of verse three. His divine power has given believers all things, including the great and precious promises. These valuable promises are the means by which believers can be sharers of the divine nature and can escape the lust-driven corruption of the world around them. So everything is steeped in the word. The promises, the divine nature, it's all attached to the word of God, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God the Father, the knowledge of God the Son, it's all connected to the word. Now, we're going to look at phase two, salvation in action. But before we do, I want to show you the, the superiority of the word. Again, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the message which comes from the word, verse first Corinthians one eighteen, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are what? Being saved. It is the power of God to salvation. So I'm wanting to, I just want us to focus in on the strength of the word. And then of course Hebrews 4.12 that we're all familiar with. We hear this all the time, especially if you've been listening to tapes. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word is the one that's powerful. So when you share the gospel, make sure you use the word, not your eloquent words, the word that comes from the scriptures, because that's what's alive and powerful. 
And continuing on with regards to the force and the strength of the word, we find in Jeremiah 23:29, Is not my word like a fire? It's all-consuming, said the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces, or in pieces. So that's the word of the Lord. It's like a hammer and it's like a fire. And then, we've seen this before, but I wanted to point out something here that we might not have seen before. In 1 Corinthians 15:2, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, that which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if, if was, you are saved if you hold fast that word. What does that mean? If you hold fast. If, if they don't hold fast, they're not saved? First of all, can Bill, can you look up John one twelve, please? And what does it say, please? So we see in John one twelve that those who receive him are those who believe in him, based on John one twelve. And so you see the word received there, by which you also received. In other words, they believed in which you stand. So this statement stresses the fact that the gospel includes more than just justification, which bridges brings forth eternal life, it also includes a daily sanctification that they're saved if the believers hold fast. That's that's the idea of abiding in the word. If you hold fast that word, if you abide in the word, if you hold fast that word, so they will be sanctified. So if, if it flow, if you start from verse 1, brethren or church, Corinthian church, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also believed in, which you stand, histomy, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word. So embedded in there is this idea of sanctification. If you hold fast, you are saved. There's that phase two salvation wrapped up in verses one and two. So you are saved if you hold fast that word, if you Abide in that word. Again, stressing the significance of putting God's word as a high priority. And so now we also, now we're going to look at the book that I want us to focus in on this morning so that we can see phase two salvation in action. This is, um, important. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to what salvation mean? Uh, deliverance, right? Okay. The word salvation means deliverance. So let's keep that in mind. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. So you've got the word euangelion, which is the good news for gospel, and then for power dunamis, which is power or ability. So the gospel of Christ, 
for it is the power of God to deliverance or soteria. Also means safety. So depending on the context, you're being saved from your enemies, health issues. Uh, so context will ultimately influence the meaning of the word, especially when we talk about salvation. And then pistuo, for everyone who believes. So what is he saying here? I'm not, Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to deliverance. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So Paul and the Roman Christians need not be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it furnishes power to uh, deliverance. For it is the power of God to deliverance. And you'll understand why I'm stressing this. Because we're going to see. I don't use Romans 1.16 for the gospel presentation. Just as an FYI. I know some people do. I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation. And so you present it and say, by the way, look at what it says here. It's the power of God to salvation. I take it to to mean something a little different. And I'll show you what I think it means in its context of Romans 1. So, with verse 17, he now says, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is written, the just shall live by faith. So that word righteousness is dikaiosune, that God provides, dikaiosune, the righteousness that God provides for people on the basis of faith in the gospel. So when a person places their faith in God, then they receive the dikaiosune, the righteousness of Christ. That's the imputation that we talked about two weeks ago. So the, this also gives us a provision for in it, in the righteousness of God, we're provided the provision of faith. The just shall live by faith. So now, question. We all know that the wrath of God is coming, correct? When is the wrath of God going to appear? Is this an eschatological question? Is this something that will appear during the Great Tribulation? Uh, in the Lake of Fire? When is the Great When is the wrath going to be appear? When is the wrath going to show? During the Tribulation? At the end of the Tribulation. Okay end of the tribulation, the wrath of God is going to be hurled down. Is that true? Hmm. Hmm. Okay, well, let, let's, let's good, let's good. Let's interact with this a little bit because this is why, this is going, how I'm going to build on Romans 1.16. That the gospel is the power of God, right? So, look closely. The wrath of God is going to be revealed in the near future. Is that what it says? The wrath of God, what? Oh, so what's that mean? Is now, right, Debbie? Now. The wrath of God is revealed now. From where? Oh, but here's the question. 
Um, I don't see things flying out of the heavens coming here and slamming on the earth yet, do you? How is the wrath being revealed right now? What's that look like? Hmm. Huh? Discipline. Okay. Okay, but how does that look like? I, I'm just, I'm good, I like this. What, what does it look like today? Are we seeing the wrath of God being revealed today? We are. In, in what sense? What's an example of the wrath? How do we see the wrath of God? Where, where can we point to? Someone says, well help me out. I, I don't know. It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. I don't see that. Where is that in Washington DC? Is that in LA County, New York? Well, let's, let's move on. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, against all unrighteousness of men who what? Suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So right now we're seeing in verse 18 the wrath of God is currently revealed and it's against those who practice ungodliness, unrighteousness, and those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Can we agree with that based on the text? Okay. So that's verse 18. Verse 19 says the following. Because what may be known of God is manifest, paneros, in them, for God has shown it to them. So it is innate in individuals, in people today. Everyone knows that there is a God. Why? God has shown it to them. It is manifest in them. That word is phaneros. It's apparent. Another way of saying it is shining. It's in them. God himself has shown it to them. Every person knows that there is a God. But... When you talk to a person that says, no, Vanessa, I'm, a, I'm an atheist, they are suppressing the truth. They're holding the truth down. They may firmly believe that there is no God. They've persuaded themselves. And so, but according to Holy Writ, it says here that God has Veneros in them. It is apparent in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are what? They don't have an excuse. Because they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. So that word matayo is wicked. So because they knew God, that word is gnosko, 
They knew God. They did not glorify him as God. Now, look at what the scripture is saying. They do God. But even though they knew God, they did not glorify him, nor were thankful. And as such, they became futile in their thoughts. So there's a progressiveness here. And their foolish hearts were what? were darkened. So they knew God, but they didn't thank Him, and they did not glorify Him. But instead, they became progressively worse. Their their thoughts became futile or wicked, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Twenty-two. Professing to be wise, they became what? Fools. You can see the progression here. It's getting worse and worse. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible, like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Some people have those uh, lucky rabbit's foot, and they rub it like this. Good luck, right? It's an example. They made corruptible, an image made like corruptible men, men, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. So they're changing everything. Instead of focusing on God, they knew God. They were neither thankful nor glorified Him. And now they change the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And as such, therefore, because of what they have just done, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. This refers to sexual impurity. God gave them up to uncleanness. So there's this protective, almost like a protective bubble and God turns them over to uncleanness. He lets them go to themselves. Remember Scott mentioned uh, two weeks ago that the worst uh, problem is the sin nature? Remember that, Scott? But it's true. The worst enemy is not the devil, it's not the world, it's the sin nature. I mean, because you carry the sin nature wherever you go. So thoughts are fleeting. You know, you say things, oh, Hal, I love your jacket. Deep down inside, I'm like, I, I would never wear a jacket. Sin nature. So the sin nature is the most troublesome of all. And so in here, God gave them up to uncleanness. Now he lets them go. There's a turning over of themselves to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So this is referring to sexual impurity. 
So that's one example, by the way, of the wrath of God being revealed. Verse 24. He gave them up. So now God is no longer helping them or restraining them. He gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 25, continuing, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So again, there's this progressiveness. They've exchanged the truth. They're denying the truth. They're suppressing the truth and living it out in unrighteousness. They knew God in their minds but they resisted, they were not thankful, they did not glorify God, and so they became futile in their thoughts. They knew God, that word gnosko, as we saw earlier, they knew God, but they chose to ignore it. They knew God inside, but they said, oh, David is right, he keeps sharing, but uh, I don't want to be a part of it, because then I have to forfeit my Sundays, and then that's the time that I really have fun and relax, and I do my laundry. David keeps inviting me to church, and I know that there's a God, but if I if I go once, he's going to expect me to be there every Sunday. I'm not going to go. So there's a there's an innate knowledge of God because he is Veneros. He's made it clear to them. So when you get to verse 25, they continue. They exchange the truth of God for the lie and instead worship and serve the creature. That could be a person, it could be things, rather than God himself, who is blessed forever. Amen. So because of this, notice what happens. Boom. The wrath again. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. You see this? Relinquishing, God gave them up to vile, what? Sexual passions in verse 26. Watch what happens here. Please note. For even their women exchanged a natural use for what is against nature. What is that? Well, let me give you a hint. Lesbianism, homosexuality, transgenderism. That's verse 26, Romans 1. God gave them up to vile sexual passions, for even the women exchanged a natural use for what is against nature. Are we seeing this today? Now you know where the wrath is seen. Lesbianism, homosexuality, transgenderism. And by the way, if you're listening online, this doesn't mean if you are a lesbianism or a homosexual or transgender, that you can't be saved. doesn't mean that at all. The grace of God is so rich that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And so I in no way am suggesting that these people who practice these types of sexual orientation are out of reach. No, God loves you just the same. In fact, it, it's clear, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting. So perchance, if you do struggle, if you are listening online, or if one of you are listening and you have a visitor with you, a family member with you who are listening, who may be struggling in any of these areas, it doesn't mean 
that you're not a believer. It doesn't mean that you're lost forever. It just means that you need the power of the gospel of Christ as seen in Romans 1.16. And I'll show you that at the very end. If you'll just follow along with the rest of the service, you'll see the solution. I just wanted to put that out there because I know we have people listening online who may be listening to this and fidgeting around, wondering, oh my gosh, is he talking about me? I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. I just want you to know that these are the reasons why you might be struggling with things like this. But there is a solution, and God does love you. He didn't make you like that, but he does give you volition. So you can exercise volition, and God gives us the power. This is why Paul champions the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to deliverance. So moving on, for this reason, God gave them up to vile sexual passions, which includes lesbianism, homosexuality, transgenderism. That's why it's so difficult to fight, because you can't do this on your own strength. If there's anything that you can tackle on your own strength, then technically, God wasted his time giving us God the Son as well as God the Holy Spirit. But he knew that we would need a helper, and as such, we have the helper that comes first through the person of Jesus Christ, and as we acquiesce to him by faith, we are imputed with the righteousness of Christ, which then allows us to have a rapport with God the Father, which then allows Jesus Christ to send forth the helper because we need help. And the Helper will empower us and illuminate truth as we study the Word of God together so that when people start to ask you about the Bible and talk to you about the Bible, it will slowly start to make sense because God is going to continue to reveal light as you're positive towards the light that he brings to your attention. So lesbianism, homosexuality, and transgenderism is very prevalent today. And we're seeing this all around us. But this is something that I would say God has given them up. God has given people up. And by the way, is this for unbelievers only? No. This is for the believers as well. Believers can get caught up in any of these just as much as an unbeliever can. Because if you go negative towards doctrine, you might be saved, once saved, always saved. But you can certainly get caught up with these kind of behaviors. Just like you can get caught up with heterosexual immorality. So, it's just the, the root cause is the sin nature that is embedded in each person who is born. And I'm not talking about born again, but all those people were alive and living. We all struggle with this. Some trend in one direction, whereas others trend in a different direction. So, please look closely. This reason, what reason? Well, because of this. 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So when that occurred, God gave them up to vile and sexual passions so that even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And we know in the Old Testament, Leviticus 20.13, just to be clear, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. That's an, that word is abomination is an offense. They shall be they shall surely be put 
to death. Their blood shall be upon them. That's Leviticus 20, verse 13. So we have from the Old Testament itself what would happen if a man lies with a woman. Not only that, Deuteronomy 2.5, a lot of people don't know this, but it's there. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are, what? An abomination to the Lord your God. That's why I always take my earrings off before I put them on. I'm kidding, just in case someone online is listening. But it's clear, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. We don't want to blur the design of God. God has made man and woman to be uniquely distinct and different. Because of that, because of verse 26, Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful. Do we see this today? And receiving in themselves the penalty of their <clears throat> error which was due. So now, even as they did not like to retain God in their what? In their knowledge. They did not like to retain God. God, here's that wrath of God being revealed. God gave them over. Okay, you don't want to listen to me? You don't want to keep me in your mind? Fine, here, have at it. He, he gives them to themselves. This is the third time, okay? He gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So debase is a reprobate mind, a non-functioning mind, a type of insanity. They can't think properly anymore. Today a girl thinks she's a boy or vice versa, and this is encouraged these days. <clears throat> Okay, don't don't be shocked when I show you this picture. But I want to drive the point home. This is what we're seeing today, correct? This is a this is a fact. Uh, they are saying what they want to say. They want to believe what they want to believe, and that this is what's going on today. Church, we need to do something about this. We're not going to save everybody. But we need to advance the cause of Christ. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, our job, my job, your job, is to advance the cause of Christ. I'm not picking on anybody here. I'm just saying that this is called an abomination before the Lord. And we should be sharing the gospel. We should be telling people about Christ. But, you know, it's unfortunate that we are not when I say we, I'm not saying that any this this church in particular, but we as churches, universal church globally, are not doing the job because what we're seeing today is really the product of the lack of involvement of the churches around the world. The churches should be 
doing the job of conversion through, of course, the agency of God, the Holy Spirit. But we should be going out there and converting people. Today, we on a Saturday morning, the average cultist is knocking on your door to tell you about the Watchtower and Tract Society or the Mormon Church. When was the last time you heard a Christian knocking on your door? Far and few. I have three to four people knocking on our doors when we were in California, Mormons and JWs. So one day I decided to, I would always invite them in the house. And the one time I decided to have fun. And I invite, I, I scheduled them to come on a different day, but I had them both come at the same time. And I said, uh, this is, ve- this is very special. Would you mind if I record it? And so I, I said, you guys think that the JWs are a cult and you think the Mormons are a cult. And here I am, I'm just a person who believes in the Bible. How am I supposed to make, how, how am I supposed to know who is the true faith? And that was very interesting. And it got very heated and they both left. I had the opportunity to share what I believe. I said, but you guys need Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But thank you for coming. Please come again. They never did. So moving on. Verse 29, still in Romans 1, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers or gossipers, (coughs) backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So let's go and wrap this up now. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Remember, we found this in verse 18. This is shortly after Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So it's against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Right? So therefore, God gave them up. Here's the wrath, how it looks like. I'm I'm taking the verses now to unpack what the wrath of God is in Romans 1, chapter 1. Romans 1, verse 24. Here's the first example of God's expressing of his wrath. The wrath is seen by him giving them up to what? Uncleanness in the lust of their hearts. So God's wrath is revealed in verse 24 as he gives them up. He no longer restrains them. He lifts the restraining from the individuals to dishonor their bodies. He basically says, you don't want me? Fine. Have yourself. 
So he gives them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So that's the first wrath of God revealed. Because we have to ask ourselves, the wrath of God is revealed. So where is it? That's my question initially. Well, it's found in verse 24. It's also found in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. This is why the women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. That's the second example of God's wrath. He turns them over to these vile sexual passions. So one, verse 24. Two, verse 26. He gives them over in each instance. God is giving them over. That's the wrath of God. He gives them over to themselves. That's his un removing of the restraint. He gave them up to uncleanness, gave them up to sexual passions, and now, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, here's the third one. God gave them over to a reprobate or debased mind. God's wrath today is seen is in his abandonment of the wicked to their sin. So three instances in Romans chapter one. So how does phase two fit in now? How does phase two salvation work? Well, you take verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to deliverance. I'm not ashamed it is the power of God to deliverance from all unrighteousness, all sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. There's power in the gospel of Christ. There's power in the word of God. This is why we stay in the word of God. This is why we abide in his word. This is why the truth will set you free. So Paul argues in verse 16, I'm not ashamed. Why? That is the power of God to deliver me from unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, and whisperers. Continuing on. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but it has the power to deliver me from what? Backbiting, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, and disobedient to parents. So if you have disobedient kids, then you can ground them in the word of God and that will help turn them in the opposite direction. Because right now they probably don't have the power. This is why we have a fantastic Sunday school. We teach the kids. We teach them kernels of truth. Why? Because we know what works. We know that as we inculcate them with biblical truth, even at a young age, as they grow, it's going to bear fruit. And as we get with the Good News Club, it'll bear fruit. Their kids are going to impact the parents. The parents are going to be impacted. They're going to be interested in the the Good News Club. And then we're going to be able to invite them to church and teach them what the Word of God has to say. And in the end, God is honored. We need people to know that in the Gospel of Christ, there's power for deliverance from Hating God, being violent, 
being proud, being boasters, inventors of evil things, and even disobedient to parents. That's what Paul starts off with, Romans 1.16. Instead of saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God to be born again, I think contextually, first of all, notice he's saying, I'm not ashamed, suggesting that the recipients, some of them, were at least ashamed. Are any of us ashamed? We shouldn't be. We really shouldn't be. Why? It has the power. It has the power of God for what? Deliverance. From what? Well, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. So, let me just go back to verse 28 again. God's wrath is seen in his abandonment of the wicked of to their sins. So, hopefully you can see, I believe Romans 1.16, there's a powerful verse there. Paul is saying, look, we don't have every, any reason to be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. And we see the wrath of God today being revealed in the lives of people and I would say believers and unbelievers but predominantly unbelievers because the believer usually is steeped in the word of God is consistent in the word of God but if not don't be surprised if they succumb to some of the sins that we're seeing in Romans 1 haters liars disobedient and so on so if anybody is struggling with any of these we need to get into the Word of God because that is where the power is found. I started by showing you the verses. The Word of God is alive and powerful. We grew up with this, right? Some of you have drilled that all every time, every Sunday. The Word of God is alive and powerful. But, you know, sometimes I hear people say, yeah, it's alive and powerful, but then their lives are in defeat. And I think the reason why is because we have to put the puzzle, puzzle together. We have to connect it with truth and say, okay, now that I can parrot Hebrews 4.12 and I can say rebound and I can say all these terms, like I was saying earlier, we know the terminology, but the practical application sometimes is wanting. So I'm hoping that as we move together through the basics, you're going to be able to see, okay, so now that we're going through the basics, this is what phase two looks like. This is what sanctification looks like. This is what the application of the word of God looks like in my life. So if I'm not going to be embarrassed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God, and what if I'm lacking that? Well, last week, what did we learn? Well, maybe I need to be, maybe I'm anemic in my knowledge of God the Father and God the Son because grace and peace will be multiplied in the knowledge of God the Father and God the Son. Maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe I need, maybe I thought I was studying enough, then when in fact I'm not. And there's no shame in that. At least we know that the scripture tells us what's required. Okay? So I'm hoping that you can see with me that the wrath of God is taking place right now. It's all around us. We probably know people who are struggling with this. And what do they need? 
They need Romans 1, 16. They need Romans 1, 16. You and I have been tagged with the title of an ambassador. That is a huge responsibility. We have people who are dying in their sins that do not know Christ. And sure, we can execute verses and passages and say, yeah, I know this and this is what the text says. But you know what? I think if Jesus was here, I think his primary focus would be, yes, explaining the verses, but at the same time, his desire is that none should perish. That's really the, the apex of it all. He came and went ultimately on the cross and paid a grueling death to salvage and save people. And I want us to have that sense as well. I want us to recognize that we can have fun executing the passage left and right, and we can go here and tear this up all day. But if we're not do, if we're not winning souls, is that really commendable? Is God really pleased with that? I think we have to translate a lot of what we're learning, starting with basics, into practical use, which is to take these verses recognize that there's power in the gospel of Christ, utilize it and share it. Send it out in a te- as a text message. Send it out as an invite to coming to prayer meeting or come to church. We still can fill these tables up. You have uh, chairs next to you that could be um, you. I mean, I can sit next to you, but I need to be up here. But let's invite people here and let's keep, let people know that they can have exposure to God's love and His training through the Word of God. We're a very unique group here. I, and I say that with all sincerity. Those online, um, you probably know as interim pastor, I count it a real privilege to be a part of this church. And I'm ready to lock shields with you all and make a difference. I just need to know that you guys will run the race with me. Because um, there's too much going on. I saw online the shooting recently, not too far from here. So we really need to take seriously what it is we stand for as a local body. National Capital Bible Church is one of the few churches and my wife and I were pleased when we found out that this church was here when we first were corresponding with Robbie Dean we didn't even know that the church was here and so we were extremely grateful so anyways I hope you can see the focus of this passage here that God has been turning people over to themselves. The wrath is currently being shown. It's not eschatological. It's taking place right now. Right now. Prior to the rapture. It's not a great tribulation wrath that's being talked about here. It's something that is being seen now. So because of that, we need to be proactive in getting the word out. Talk to your family members, your unbelieving friends about Christ. It's simple. 
if we need to do more more role playing or training, we can do that. But by God, we need to make a difference because sorry for the graphic image there, but that's what's happening today, and it's getting worse. It's going public in schools, public schools, elementary, middle schools. If that does not bother you, then I don't know what will. Any thoughts or comments, questions? You see the power in Romans 1.16? It can save or deliver us from these sins. Okay? So all those sins that we've seen stemming from starting with verse 29. All these sins here, unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, evil uh, whisperers, these all can be resolved with the gospel of Christ. Because Paul says, I'm not ashamed because it'll save me from all of this. That's the flow. Paul starts in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, for deliverance. From what? All of these, 18 to 32. He goes, one, here's the power. Boom. Message of the cross, or the gospel of Christ. It is for deliverance. And then he starts off in 18, where the wrath of God is revealed right now in these ways. He un, he give, there's unrestraint. He abandons, he abandons, he gives them over. But if you put your faith in the gospel of Christ, it can save you from those. No thoughts or comments? Okay. Very good. So let's close in a word of prayer. We're a few minutes early, so very good. Let's close in a word of prayer and thank you for your time. Hopefully you got something out of this and uh, use it. Okay? Let us pray. Father, as always, we are delighted when we can open your word. And Father, sometimes these truths are so riveting and penetrating that they affect us deep down in the soul. And that's okay. Father, if there's anybody online or those who will listen to this who might be affected or even offended by what I may have said, I pray, Lord, that they would understand that this is not intended to offend, to hurt, or to discourage, but to just shed truth and to share it so that they too can recognize that the reason why there is tension and difficulty in their orientation it's not because they're a bad person, but because they lack the power that's found only in the gospel. Just as Paul uh, said in Romans 1.16, he's not ashamed, and neither should we. We should not be ashamed. Why? Because it is the power of God. And we saw several other verses. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Do we believe that? And yes, Father, we do. And Father, we also know that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, phase two, it's the power of God. And so, Father, as we continue to 
remain steeped in your word. Romans 12, 2 comes to mind that we will be metamorphoo, we will be transformed not by our own doing, but by the transformation that comes as a result of God the Holy Spirit, who transforms us as we renew our minds in the word of God. I pray for every person here at National Capital Bible Church. Father, they all have a very special place. We're all knitted together as different parts of the body. And may we pull together and be one strong voice for the cause of Christ in this neighboring area so that the world would know, the area would know, the city would know that you alone are the Savior. You alone are the solution to the world's problems. And Father, we thank you for, I thank you especially for the congregation, for Pastor Dan, for his um, his commitment, the years, the many years that he has taught National Capital. It is evident to me that the uh, members of National Capital is a solid core group, and I'm so honored to be a part of the family here. And to know that it's, he has already trained them in such a way that they're already considered advanced soldiers. And so, Father, all we have to do now is go run the race and set forth before us to make a difference, to be proactive and not just be church, but uh, to get out there and make things happen. Not play church, but to go out there and apply the doctrines that we know and so love and as taught by Pastor Dan. And so, Father, as we come to a close, I pray that you will keep us all safe and allow us to recall these truths that have been taught behind this pulpit. And I hope and trust that everything that I said would bring you honor, glory, and would be uh, fruitful in the end to those who are recipients of this word. And we ask and pray all of these things through Christ's matchless name and with people. Amen.